and welcome to Stationary Adjacent, a podcast at the intersection of analog and digital productivity. I'm Justin Twyford, joined as always by my friend and co-host, Stu Lennon. Hey, Stu. How's Friday? Hey, Friday has thus far been very kind to me. Thank you, Justin. How's yours so far, young though it is? Uh, young though it is, and we had some technical gaffes, I think is a nice way to put it. Uh, we had some hardware problems, Apple hardware problems. Who'd have thunk? 14 minutes of Stu sitting on the other end saying, uh, shall I call you? I can't hear you. Are you there? <laughs> I, it was, it was fun. And that's just the start of my day. Oh, well, Stu, did you have enough willpower last week to finish the book on willpower? Uh, I did. I can, I can proudly say I finished it yesterday with, I suppose, the same sort of feeling as I had throughout. I loved the experiments and the anecdotes. Um, I was particularly taken with the stuff about Livingston and Stanley, mm -hmm. uh, sort of, you know, great British historic figures. I, I really enjoyed that. And I liked most of their findings. I just didn't like the way they pulled them together. But still, a really good book, and I think well worth reading if you haven't. Mm. You just kind of have to uh, hold your nose and get through the first half. Is that correct? Well, I don't know about that. I mean, I think you just have to um, be comfortable with thinking, I may not agree with everything this book has to say, but that doesn't mean it doesn't have lots of good things to say. Cool. Cool. It's been a while since I've read it. I'm not sure if that's enough of a thing to go back and reread it now. Maybe I'll just go to the final chapter and reread the conclusions. Mm, well, you know, there's a, there's a lot of, a lot of work in the area now. Um, I think it's, you know, Half the books on productivity that come out are around this type of thing, you know, how best to harness your decision-making power and such. Yeah. I think this was sort of the first, the first book that overtly dealt with the subject and, you know, maybe our tenure, younger Stu and Justin would look at this quite differently. Sure. Sure. I would guess so. Yep. Wow. Well, um, that, that was good days. I had hair in those days too. <laughs> those were the days. And in those days, Apple stuff worked. <laughs> you remember those days? Uh, after this morning, tell me about it. Oh, good Lord. Uh, so, so what's, what's giving you uh, some fun? Um, well, for me, it's, um, I, I, I don't know whether it's airplay network, home pods, uh, home pod mini thread networks. Maybe I no idea, but all I want to do, Justin, is sit at my desk and I have a home pod pair and I want to listen to either music or podcast through that pair. Now, I can do that from my Mac in theory, um, although <laughs> airplay from the Mac to the home pod seems very unreliable. But then doing it from my iOS device, or my phone, for example, that that that's horrible. So what happens is that it'll be playing and then one speaker will stop and the other will continue and then they'll swap. So only the left will work and the, and the right will stop. And then they'll both stop and I'll look at the phone and go, Oh, press play. Oh, it starts again. Great. And then it'll say, Oh, it'll stop. I can't find the home pods. And then I'll say, well, they're over there. I can see them. And then I will have given up and I'll be listening through my monitor speaker. And suddenly one of the home pods will go, 
which will inevitably take me back to my phone and I will then start things up and it will work again. And then I, I do the whole dance. So I unplug the home pods. Then I think, mm, maybe it's the mesh network. So I'll turn the mesh network off. So I'll go upstairs and turn the main router off. And then I'll turn everything, I'll, actually, I'll turn the fiber box. I'll turn everything off and turn it all back on again. And then I'll come down and then it will all work perfectly for about 35 seconds. That's, oh, you get 35 seconds out of it. You're doing well. Well, I, honestly, it's, I'm sort of harking back to the days where I think, well, I used to have a radio in the corner and I could just turn it on and it was fine and it played stuff. Um, or, you know, in modern times I had a music system that I could switch on and it would play the music I wanted. Or if I wanted to listen to a talkie sort of thing, it would play that. It's all I want, mm -hmm. honestly. And because, um, like you, I think I use overcast. That means that barking at the, at the home pod to get it to play something, it's not going to use overcast. It's going to use Apple podcasts, which has got problems of its own at the moment, which means that it will play me a podcast, but it won't take it off my queue in an overcast. So bored with it. And clearly there's something afoot. They're doing something. I don't know what it is. Uh, destroying it one piece at a time. It's just a car crash. It's awful. I'm sort of sitting here growling and grumbling. Happy Thanksgiving to you too. Uh, so new, no new uh, Apple uh, AirPods for you, version three or whatever they're called. Just to make it worse, another device. Yeah, no, I mean, I don't think I need another device. I've got the pros and I like the pros. I like the noise cancelling when, you know, I'm on aircraft. Remember those days? Mm. So yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to downgrade, but eventually I will have to replace them. I'm sure because they, they appear to have a sort of, you know, a battery exp expiry life, um, half life of, I don't know how long. So I imagine they will go and I think I'll just buy more pros. Wow. What about you and the big ones? Are you still big fans of the big ones? Uh, well, HomePods, AirPlay, AirPods. I, I'm, I treat these things like Pokemon collector cards. You got to catch them all. So I have the original AirPods. I have the HomePod, the AirPods Pro. I have the AirPods Max. I've got the big HomePods. I've got the mini HomePods. I, nothing, nothing works well, mm. to be honest. I have the similar problems that you do. The, the big one for me, again, I'm, I gave up on using AirPlay out of my Mac. I, I came up with this theory that you know, my new expensive monitor doesn't have speakers. Well, I now have an interface and two big speakers on big stands behind my desk to give me really nice sound because nothing else works reliably. Airplay from the back is uh, painful at best. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, my, my next purchase decision around a desktop, you know, my, my original thinking was that sound would be provided by some sort of form of home pods, but uh, unless things get radically better, radically quickly, then I'm going to be going out and shopping for speakers. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the home pods are fine. I've got uh, that, the, the big ones, the big stereo pair I have on my writing desk and they tend to be pretty foolproof. Uh, they're slow. They haven't been updated a lot. They still tend to stop. You know, you, you play music for five, 10 seconds and they stop again. And you have to press play again, but once you do that, they seem to be fine. Uh, the ones on my desk in front of me, the the pair of minis, 
drive me nuts. So in order to use my phone, because these things are so smart, I almost have to wheel back from my desk because if I'm doing anything, this little pop-up on my phone that stops me from using it says, oh, Apple HomePods detected. Would you like to stream to them? I said, well, I'm not doing anything that has any music. I'm browsing the web. I'm checking, well, I would say I'm checking email, but I don't have email on my phone. But, you know, I'm maybe I'm checking Instagram and it wanting to click on this button and stream there. So, yeah, I'm ready to use these. They're about the size of a big baseball. Um, and I've really been tempted to see how far I could throw them. Yeah. The idea of talking to these things and getting them to do anything uh, is so beyond me. It's not even funny. And I'll, I'll tell you how stupid this is, too, because. I'm sitting here. I have two big Apple speakers in the corner of my room. I've got two small Apple speakers here in front of me on my desk. I've got these two large powered monitors behind my desk. So six there. Right next to me, I have uh, an Amazon Echo device that I actually use for anything that needs to get done around the house. If I have a question, it goes that way. Um, and I will confess that because these are very, very reliable, they respond to your voice. I use them instead of HomeKit because HomeKit, I just don't trust. I, I, you know, having to yell at the lady in the tube seven or eight times to get her to understand what I'm trying to tell her is not my idea of fun. Well, the Amazon version does a very, very good job of it. I even pay for Amazon music as well as Apple music so that the family can listen to it. I've got an Amazon Echo device in the kitchen, for example, and my wife loves it. She can play all the music she wants while she's cooking. Uh, while she's sitting at dinner, we can have, you know, the chill jazz. We're going to sound like your dogs. It, it just works really, really well. And Apple, unfortunately, despite the fact you can throw all this lots and lots of big money at it, just doesn't compete in terms of functionality to that. So, uh, yeah, I have similar problems. I have compensated from it in the incredibly privileged way that I do where I threw money at the problem and I have mm -hmm. redundant systems and things that would not make Stu the master of the minimalist desk. Very happy. <laughs> Indeed. That's, that is another concern, but, but we digress enough appling. Mm, yes. What's your tool of the week, Justin? Uh, my tool of the week this week is an application, Drafts. There's been a couple of times that I've been out and about. I use Drafts as a capture tool. I use it as a drafts tool, and I do so much work with it. I was out the other day. I got a call from my boss. Uh, he needed me to do something. I pushed the little button on my Apple Watch and recorded the memo and the memo went immediately back into my Mac and into my iPhone. And it's just so nice to have such a unique and functional capture tool. If you have it as part of your workflow, it, it's an amazing tool. And there is a lot of automation that you can do with it. I do a lot of it manually just because it's part of my review process that at the end of the day. But man, what a fantastic application. Do you use it at all, Stu? Uh, I do. It's, um, 
I'm sort of toying with it at the moment because I use it in much the same way. I don't do much dictation, but I do uh, use it as a capture tool predominantly. And as I've been thinking about how I use the various and sub writing tools in my world, I've been wondering whether, because my sort of central repository, if you like, is uh, Obsidian. <laughs> and so in the ideal world, I would just capture it directly in Obsidian. That's the obvious thing to do. But it has to be said, drafts is still that little bit, mm, there's less friction <laughs> with drafts. You press the button and go, whether that be vocally or um, you know, tapping away on the keyboard. So, uh, yeah, I'm not quite sure where, how much longer I'm going to be using it or whether in fact, I just have to acknowledge that for capture drafts is the best. Uh, and then, you know, it's easy enough to then move it from, from drafts into obsidian and then the rest of my, my workflow carries on from there. I'm, I'm not quite sure how that's going to end up here. Yeah. For, for capture, for quick emails, for things that I want to review before I accidentally press the send button. Drafts is just amazing for that. Um, and yeah, it, it's an in-between state. It doesn't, doesn't keep anything, which is, you know, that would go into obsidian or what other systems I'm using, but definitely it's, it's a key part of my capture. Anyway, what's your tool of the week, Stu? Um, oh my, it's yet another obvious one. I, I think I've spoken, well, I know I've spoken about moving my time around, moving my tasks, trying to you know, get all of my important tasks into my green zone. Um, and one thing that happened with that is that I discovered my hitherto wonderful motivation to walk disappeared. So if I get up in the morning and say, right, I'm going for a walk, I can walk for miles. I, I love walking. It's great. Uh, the dogs are big fans too. But I decided that that wasn't necessarily the best use of my sort of green creative time. And so I would do my dog walk later in the day when I'm feeling a little bit sort of lower in the energy stakes. The problem is when I'm feeling a bit lower in the energy stakes, I'm like, well, no, mm, and I find reasons not to do it. Now, when you're at my size and eat the way I eat, you really do need to make sure you keep exercising. So I was sort of struggling with how I was going to do it. Was I going to bring my walk back into the morning time? And, um, it's really annoying, but what had happened was that because it was no longer part of my automatic morning routine, mm -hmm. um, a walk had become discretionary. Mm, yeah. And so, I mean, let, let's not, let's not get into willpower, but, um, because it was discretionary, I had friction between me and going for a walk. And so I just started writing it on my list. I started putting it on the analog card. Mm. Uh, I've got one in front of me, walk dogs. And just that tiny little bit of accountability. When I look down at my analog card and I think, okay, I've got to speak to Justin in a minute. That's record stationary adjacent. That's the last thing I'll, oh, I've got to walk the dogs. And because it's there, I walk the dogs. Mm. So I did. Uh, and that's this week so far, I am five for five. So it works. And you have happy dogs. Uh, yeah, the dogs, are, uh, the dogs are pretty relaxed. We've got a, we've got a really big yard anyway, and they're quite small dogs, but, um, yeah, obviously to go out and have new smells to chase and stuff They're they're all for it. <laughs> yeah. We, we have a different dog who doesn't like to walk. She walks for 20, 30 feet and then she likes to be picked up, 
so she can see from a higher level because she's small. <laughs> well, uh, if it works for you both, it works for you both. Yeah, I, I get to walk with a little bit of cardio because I'm carrying a 60-pound dog around with me. <laughs> well, lovely. There's a mental image for everybody. What about your pen and ink of the week, Justin? What are you using this week? I am preparing the way, Stu. Preparing the way in a Syracuse fashion. Exactly. I realized that I have the Inkvent calendar coming up in December, which I'm really excited to try. But I've been debating on how I could use so much ink. I mean, I have a hard enough time with a pen and ink of the week, uh, let alone trying to ink up 24 bottles of, of fountain pens in a month. What I did decide on, and it came in an email from Shigure Inks down in California, was a, I'm going to mess up the name of this. You're, you're good at, at uh, languages, Stu, but this is Japanese. Mm -hmm. Surire, I think it is. Black persimmon glass pen. Uh, sourire is French for a smile, my friend. Oh, is it? There you yeah. go. I'm not sure that would have been where this came from, but anyway, we'll go with that. <laughs> uh, it is a glass nib in a beautiful black persimmon wood. So it's a, the, the wood is a lovely feeling light brown and blackish color all intertwined mm -hmm. through it. Really lovely. Yeah. Persimmon, they used to make golf clubs out of it way back when. Really? Yeah. And, uh, it is absolutely gorgeous. Got a lovely little nib. You can dip a little bit in and have some fun with it. And so I've, I've been playing with that and quite enjoying it. Actually. It's, it's nice because you dip it in, you write, you don't need to worry about how much ink you've got sitting there on your desk, making you feel guilty because you haven't written enough yet. Mm, yeah. Very nice. It's a nice change. I've got a, um, I don't know where it is. I think it's maybe still in the UK, a little glass pen that I, that I bought <laughs> way back when, when I first started getting back into to inks and it's great because you can just wipe them clean, can't you? Yeah. I, I love using them. I have a Geobon glass pen that I use predominantly for my ink cards. I do a swab and in order to be consistent, I use the Geobon glass pen to write there, uh, the name of the ink on each card, mm -hmm. uh, which is, which is really nice. Again, it's the same, the same logic that you uh, don't end up with a mess everywhere and pens coming out of, you know, every, every space that you have them. Sure. Uh, but more than anything else, that is a little unbalanced. The whole thing is glass. So it's, it's long. It's always a little bit cumbersome to use. Yeah. It's what I've got. I think it's the sort of got the sort of twisty glass. Yeah, that's the one. And it's, uh, yeah, yeah, I know the one. So uh, anyway, this is a lovely one. And I was thinking about Stu when I was choosing an ink, uh, because I just got some new ink from Hungary. Uh, sure. Uh, it is called Pannonia. I'm not sure if you've ever used this ink, Stu. Um, I know of Pannonia, uh, from. I'm going to forget the name of the podcast, but, um, the, the Hungarian guy that's on that, um, is forever talking about Pannonia. Mm. I got some of this ink from, uh, Shigurix as well. They've just started carrying it 
The one that I got was really, really cool is called Dracula, Dracula, basically. Mm. It's a 30 milliliter limited edition. It's a red ink with black matte pigment in it, which darkens. Basically, it makes it a black shading red ink, which is just really cool in itself. Yeah, absolutely. Sounds lovely. Yeah, lots of fun. How about you? What are you riding with this week, Stu? Uh, Well, uh, nothing quite so exotic. I have got um, an Enso Piuma, which is, uh, it's an American pen. Uh, Enso is an American firm. I think it may be California. I could be wrong. This was the, it's a sort of classical cigar shaped pen. So no clip on it, no markings of any sort. It's very, very minimalist. You unscrew it, which I'm now doing. Uh, and then it's got, I think that's probably a number six nib, I'm going to guess. Very nice pen. I bought the limited edition one in Burgundy. This is, uh, oh, I forget now. I think this is number 80 of 99, something like that. Um, it's nice. Uh, when I started writing with it, it was a bit dry and I thought I'm, I, I'm doing a Justin. I'm, I'm on a run, but, uh, once it settled down a bit, it's been writing very nicely since, uh, I've got it filled with Pelican star Ruby, which sort of, uh, picks up with the burgundy color. Um, and it's, it's a nice pen, you know, I wouldn't cross oceans for it, but, um, I enjoy it. Did your Montegrappa from last week start working nicely for you or did you oh yeah well I, I think i've got a selection of problems there so the converter i think is broken so uh Montegrappa converters have a little spring inside the piston mechanism which sits uh if you like at the top of the converter now mine sort of free floats now, I don't know whether that's just because it's fallen off or whether because I've misunderstood how a Montegrappa converter works, but that would appear to, to hamper the ink flow. Hmm. Um, but then having, having decided that that was the issue, I removed the converter and went instead with, a, with just a cartridge, because Montegrappas are made for cartridges, really, um, and started writing with that. And I, initially I got, okay, there's a nice little flow, and then it all got jammed up again. Hmm. So um, I think I need to get the loop out, um, do a little bit of, um, surgery would be too strong a word, but perhaps some sort of, you know, advanced maintenance and just to have a little look at the tines and, uh, and, the, and the feed and make sure there's nothing in there, sort of locking it up. I've given it a good clean. Um, it's obviously the first thing to always do, but it's still not quite right. So it needs a little bit of work, I think. Oh, lovely. Ah, these things that we do, expensive toys that need lots of maintenance. <laughs> yeah, indeed. Fountain pens, eh? I was ripping apart uh, a, one of my tag hoyers that needed a little bit of service this week. And again, that's one of those things you, you buy all these tools just to save yourselves a few dollars. And I was, you know, laid that out on my desk and I've got everything taken apart. And I was just like, yeah, why do we do this? We buy expensive things <laughs> and then we don't even wear them very much or we don't use them. You know, it's like a pen. It sits in a pen case or, you know, a storage unit for a little while because we've got so many other ones. And my, my watch was the same thing. It's back together. I've been wearing it all week. And then I keep wondering why when I have my mask on and I'm out, uh, I have to unlock my phone manually. 
I, I understand now why I wear the Apple watch. <laughs> I just wish Apple would come out with like a Fitbit band. So I didn't actually have to wear the clunky, ugly Apple watch, wear something nice. Don't make it. I mean, perhaps they'll come out with a little ankle bracelet. You could just look like a sort of you're on remand. You could wear the, the Apple one round your, round your ankle and a proper watch on your wrist. There you go. Uh, let's just wait till uh, Tim gets arrested for something, and then I'm sure there'll be a designer line of that. <laughs> uh, splendid. All right, let's talk about mission statements. The why of an organization. Okie dokie. We're getting in towards the end of a year, and obviously that's thinking, getting me thinking a little bit about planning for the next year. And one of the reasons that I like to think about planning is... Well, what are we trying to accomplish? And that, of course, got me on the trail of mission statements. I think a lot of people, they groan when they hear the word mission statements. They're so badly done in a lot of cases, let's be honest. Mm -hmm. They are, most organizations have some corporate retreat, you know, they're playing golf and sitting in the hot tub and having lovely dinners. And coming up with something that is designed to say absolutely nothing in the most consultant way of saying nothing. Big jargony words uh, that, that don't mean a whole hell of a lot. But I was thinking about that and wondering, is there really a value in having a, a great mission statement? Something that makes a difference for the employees, not just a logo to put on a, a corporate mug. And I was thinking about this in, and I, my position is that in productivity, having a clear company mission statement that your staff can get behind makes it possible for your workers to take on even more control of their destiny, their decision-making and their buying by giving them the answer to the question what should we do just by following the tenets of a well-crafted mission statement? Stu, am I crazy or are these things really just as bad as most people think? <laughs> well, uh, indubitably, you are crazy. Um, however, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think there's a danger, particularly in, in the sort of modern world, to conflate the mission statement with the tagline mm. where um, we we start thinking of that you know pithy catchy phrase that encapsulates the very essence of a company. I mean, if if you can get that and use it as a tag and a mission, brilliant, fantastic, well done, you. But most of the time, taglines are are great, but not very good at mission statements. So um, Nike, just do it. That that doesn't really help you if you're an employee, does it? I mean. If you're in corporate finance and you're thinking about embezzling, hey, it's right there. Just do it. <laughs> well, indeed. Or, you know, I, shall I, you know, shall I make this $10 million investment in a company in uh, Mozambique? You know, <laughs> just do it. I, I'm not sure that just do it is the way forward for them. And, and it's never been their mission statement. Um, for me, mission and uh, vision and values and, you know, all of that, that sort of stuff, I think is important. And I'm less concerned with whether it can be distilled down into a pithy one-liner. What I'm interested in mm. 
as, as a leader of an organization is to, does everybody in the team, does everybody understand what we're trying to do, why we're here? And that to me is what mission and vision and values are all about is understanding the why. And the best I've read on it is, um, I'm sure you've read this too, uh, Simon Sinek, the start with why, mm-hmm. um, which is, um, a really nice book, very well written, brings in a lot of really good examples. Um, <laughs> given our first 10 minutes today on Apple, perhaps not the right time, but he talks about where Apple's sort of ferocious run of success came from. And the why of a business is to me the most important thing, particularly now where for any given service or product, there are thousands of options for consumers. Why would somebody buy something from me at Nero's Notes rather than at uh, a stationer on their high street or dare I say it, the mighty Amazon? Why would they come to me? That's what I need to work out. Why am I here? Because Amazon sells notebooks. So why do we need Stu? Why do we need Nero's Notes? And um, we didn't have a corporate retreat because it would have been just me. (laughs) Well, I suppose Nero as well. so I suppose our, our sort of thinking would have been walking to work and we never wrote down anything strictly, strictly formal. We have, we have a nice tagline. The tagline is forget the app. There's a notebook for that. Um, which is, you know, it's fine. It's catchy when it used to be forget the app. There's a pocket notebook for that, which scans better, but that's when their site was called pocket notebooks. Mm-hmm. See the problem my face. Terrible. Forget the app. There's a Nero for that. Uh, you could do that, but then, uh, then you'd have to end up starting saying get Nero's brand. Mm. You'd have to protect him before he becomes commoditized like Kleenex, um, or Hoover or even field notes. The thing that I think is important is that I like working with companies that I understand and I like companies that have a dance that have values that I can identify with. So I feel uncomfortable working with Google because of their business model. I feel uncomfortable working with Facebook because of their business model. Um, but one thing I can say is that they are fairly transparent about what their business model is. We're going to take your data and sell it to absolutely anybody that wants it (laughs) in return for that. You can, you, you can use these, this stuff for free. Okay. That's the deal. And with Nero's, what we try to do is be very, very customer facing. So we, um, I wrote it down. So here we go. So this is what's written on the website, which I looked up in a sort of frantic panic, uh, during the week when I saw the, the episode title. So here at Nero's notes, we are passionate about stationery and a romantic for traditional analog writing supplies. It's part of our makeup. Where others are pushing pixels, we are scribing in our field notes. We believe that not everything is best done digital. We want to source, stock, and curate the finest stationery from around the globe and make it available to all. Now, that last sentence would be the closest thing we have to a mission statement. Mm, yeah. Um, 
but the stuff before is just as important. So in talking about that passion, um, talking about us saying, this is an alternative to, to digital. You should look at it. You should think about it. That's very important. And as always with your episode titles, you sort of set me thinking about my own businesses and where I'm working, what I'm doing, companies I'm working with. And I'm quite comfortable with Nero's because you know, you learn most about a company when something goes wrong. <laughs> and if a customer is unhappy, for example, in our business, that would tend to be for some fairly common reasons. One, they didn't get what they asked for, you know, so they've paid money for a pack of field notes and they never got the field notes. Um, or they got something that they felt wasn't what they ordered. So they ordered some field notes because they were expecting, uh, I don't know, grid pages, but they got lined pages because that was the way that edition worked. In either of those, Nero's has probably done nothing wrong. So it's often the case that things get lost, lost, lost in the post. Mm -hmm. It's often the case that customers are not very careful about reading descriptions. And so they buy a notebook and say, but this is lined. And you look at the description and go, it says it's lined. However, we don't go in for any of that. I haven't had my field notes. When, when did you order it? Five days ago. Okay, we'll send you another one. My field notes has come through and it's lined. And I really want a grid one. Okay, would you like this model instead? Fine, we'll send it to you. I'll, I'll send you back the other one. Don't worry about it. You keep it. It's on us. Oh, if the second uh, delivery comes and I get two, two, I'll send one. Don't worry. You just keep it. It's on us. That's how we work. I know it and Claire knows it. Mm -hmm. So there's never any hesitation for, for either of us. And the way that we do this, <laughs> it's a little bit sad, but we both go, what would Nero do? Mm. Because, you know, Nero was a lovely dog and he loved everyone. And, you know, Nero was about making people happy. That was his thing. And I have to say, and I'm touching wood as I say this, we've never had customers abusing that trust. Mm -hmm. So we don't have customers who, you know, regularly come back and say, oh, I didn't get my delivery. Oh, I didn't get my delivery. Oh, I didn't get my, we don't get that. If a customer says to me they didn't get their delivery, then I'm going to believe they didn't get their delivery. That's it. Nice. Have I maybe given away a pack of notebooks I shouldn't have now? Uh, maybe. But, you know, that's life. That's how Nero's works. That's what we believe. That's our mission is that, you know, our customers wouldn't lie to us. They're not that sort of customer. Uh, probably a whole lot easier to go and complain to Amazon and get a, a refund than it is to uh, go through the hassle of uh, talking to someone at Nero's Notes, you know, where it is more personal versus, you know, the impersonal. I'm getting a, a call center in the middle of nowhere. Anyway. Yeah. I mean, we, you know, we make it as easy as possible for people to to get refunds with us. I mean, I, I recently had issues with Amazon myself as a consumer. And I mean, it's a nightmare trying to get service out of them. <laughs> uh, if you want to do anything that's outside of, you know, option A or option B, then you're getting nowhere. What happens with us is that we immediately speak to the customer, either on the phone or across email, you know, however they want, um, and just find out what's the best solution for them. Uh, it's when you've got a small retail, e retail, online retailer, then business is really, really simple. 
uh, it is the customer. Mm -hmm. And if, if the customer is unhappy, if the customer is not getting what they want, then you will very soon be a globe business. So, uh, that's quite easy, but I do, I do work in other businesses too. So, um, I have my consultancy business and I was sitting there thinking, oh, wow, do I have a mission statement for that? Oh no, I probably don't actually. Do I know how the business works? Yeah. And are there similarities with what I do with Nero's? Yes. I mean, I try always to deliver uh, to the customer what, what they want, but there's a difference because I'm, I'm an expert and the customer is generally paying me for my expertise. Hmm. So um, there's, a, there's something going on at the moment where the customer has said, can you do this? And I said, yep. And I've done it. And they're like, oh no, I didn't want you to do it like that. Okay. Part of my job is to turn around and say, the way that I've done it is the best way. It might not be what you like, but it's the way to do this. However, <laughs> if you want to do the wrong thing and you'd like me to draft that or write that, then I'll do that because you're the customer, but be advised you've already got the right thing. And that's, you know, that's a, it's a different approach because it's a different type of product. And like I say, I, I don't sit there and say, well, I'm not going to write that for you because it's wrong. I'll say, look, I'll write it for you, but it's wrong, <laughs> which I think is a, a subtle difference. So yeah, I think it is important. I mean, how about the organizations that you're involved in? Do you think that they've got this right? It's, it's a tough one. And it's one that certainly I'm, I'm thinking about, um, very closely as I'm starting to, to think about next year and what I'd like to accomplish. I think the smaller the organization, the easier it is to have a culture without having a defined mission statement. Hmm. Uh, none of the organizations I have has a defined mission statement. And that was part of what got me thinking about this and looking at some of the other organizations I've been in, you know, and trying to understand what those mission statements were. I've worked in everything from sort of mom and pop owner organizations to multi-billion dollar international listed uh, companies. And one of the things that, you know, even I was thinking about some of the, the bigger companies that I've been, they have these mission statements and value statements. And by the time you get down to an operating unit, they don't mean anything. There is no coherence. There is no drive to it in many cases and not all. I, and I, I, that's why I kind of wanted to bring it up because I think a lot of people put words out there that don't mean a lot and their actions don't dovetail into the words that they've, they've published. I, I love to see companies where this is really clear and that they can empower somebody. Here's something that you can do. And unfortunately I get down to the point and we talked about it before about sort of the middle managers that their priorities are a lot different than the people at the top. They can say these wonderful things. Here's where we're going and how we're going to do it. When it comes down to sort of a middle management level, unfortunately cover your rear end is mm -hmm. one of the things that people have to think about. 
you know, I'm more worried about dealing with headcounts and budgets and resource allocations and making the profit. And I can't make too much profit this year because if I do that, well, budgeting, they'll come back and they'll want 5% more than I can actually do next year just because, well, you made it this year. You can, you can improve that next year. Um, it's, it's a tough place to sit in a real organization and come up with a mission statement that really works. And, and that was why I was kind of questioning it. What, what is that? You know, smaller businesses that I've been in, well, the answer usually is make money for the owners. And, and that can be a little tough as well for people to, to look at. I mean, yeah, the answer is not what, not what would Nero do, what would the owner do? Um, and again, trying to second guess that it's a disempowering type of mission, uh, in terms of trying to figure out what a person would do, depending on what that person is and the clarity of mission. I, I think having, you know, like your statement, like Nero's is very, very positive because I could come into your organization and it would tell me a lot that I would be passionate about stationary and analog writing supplies that you want to stock, source, and curate the finest stationary and make it available to all. It really tells me a lot about what that business is. And I'm not entirely sure that a lot of businesses have that clarity. Um, and I would love, I'd love to see it. And, you know, I, I kind of threw some examples in there of some of the, what are, what are called the best in the world. And some of those really just aren't that great either, Stu. Yeah. I mean, I, I have to say, I went through a couple of them and thought, Hey, I'm not sure that this is because they do, uh, in the post that you've put in the, the show note, um, they, they do sort of explain what a good mission statement should be. And then they list 16, which is an odd number, but anyway, <laughs> they list 16 of the best. So somebody already had the listicle for 10, for your top 10. <laughs> they had to go for the 16 to make one click more. Yeah. So, um, and then I said, I started reading them and went, um, okay, I'm not sure that this has satisfied your own criteria. So I'm just looking at a few now. Mm -hmm. um, Patagonia, for example. Okay, Patagonia is a, is a brand I really like. I really admire what they do. Um, I, I like the stance they take. Don't necessarily agree with it all, but I, I like what they do. And yet their mission statement leaves me cold. So their mission statement is, we're in business to save our home planet. Well, no, you're not. That's not why you're in business. I'm sorry, that doesn't ring true to me. Because there's plenty of other stuff that they do. They make really nice kit as well. How do you get kit to that? Well, yeah. It, there's, there's like a, a fuzzy line at best, right? Yeah, it, I mean, it's so lofty. It's so sort of, you know, helicopter view that you think, well, how does that translate to the guy in customer service on the phone who's got me on the phone saying, listen, the bag you, you sent me, the stitching is broken. Are they, are they going to save the planet by sending me a replacement or by not sending me a replacement? I mean, how does that work with recycling and stuff? I mean, mm, ah. Oh, they're, they're going to send you a needle and thread to fix it yourself because that's, <laughs> uh, the, the new Apple approach. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, it, it's really easy to sit and, 
and fire at things. And that's why I'm I'm always hesitant about the the actual statement itself. What I'm interested in is is there authenticity in the business? And as you said, is it communicable? So does that that manager out in you know uh, the far reaches of the empire does he know that he's empowered to do what it says in the mission statement mm. so for me for Nero's I was a tiny company so therefore it's a poor example when compared to, to larger companies but you know Claire is empowered to make a decision uh she knows 100 that whatever decision she makes I will back her on because I know that she'll do what she thinks is the right thing to do. And I think that is the most important thing when dealing with customers to be authentic is to be real. And if I think mm, I would have done that differently, then I also think, well, I wasn't there. I wasn't dealing with it. And the person best equipped to make that decision made that decision. And my job as, as boss man is to back her up. Mm-hmm. And that, it, that communicates to customers. Customers know that if Claire says she's going to do A, B, or C, she'll do it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Claire's not going to get in trouble. Or, you know, the whole thing flows in one direction. And I think that's the most important thing, is trying to get that communicated. And in your example there, where you're talking about, you know, people within different departments, I, I see this in clients. I have companies that with a big lofty ideal, um, but then when you get into the boiler house, when you get into the engine rooms, there are sales teams who are being being hit with motivation target, you know, sales targets, margin targets, repeat business targets, all of that sort of, you know, hardcore, old-fashioned sales stuff. The trick is making that align with the mission. And I see millions of businesses where the mission statement is kind of something that sits on the website is talked about at corporate retreats uh, <laughs> play golf with but when it comes to you know the finance department their job is to to crunch the numbers when it comes to accounts payable their job is to get that money in and if not send the bruisers around and if you're talking to sales then it's get the deal get the deal as best for us don't worry about the customer get the deal for us mm-hmm. and those things will undermine the loftiest of omission yeah. statements. There, there were a couple of good ones on this list that I thought I'd, I'd point out. And I'm not sure how familiar uh, you are, particularly now you're out in Cyprus with some of these. Uh, Southwest Airlines, they yeah, uh, yeah. are well known for uh, low cost, friendly flights. That's what made them such a popular thing from a basically what came out as a discount airline in the southwest of the u.s they're one of the bigger players now they're extremely profitable over the long term they've changed the way a lot of things happen but they've done it in a very very good way that has really good customer satisfaction their mission statement is connect people to what's important in their lives through friendly reliable and low-cost air travel And I thought, geez, you know, that really encapsulates what they're trying to do. They're trying to connect people. So they're trying to make the flights happen. They're friendly because you've, I'm sure you've seen on YouTube or on social media, some of the jokey 
pre-flight displays that they do is kind of a, sure. a yeah. thing that they do. Reliable, hey, everybody wants that in, in a service provider, especially for airplanes. And low-cost air travel, uh, that's, that's their model. And yeah. it really speaks to what they're trying to do and how they're trying to do it. And I looked at that and I thought, you know, it, it's, it sounds obvious. It's, it's what they do, but what they do is, has become their mission statement. So that was just one that really hit me as, as that really works for that organization. For sure. And it's been imitated. So, I mean, Ryanair in Europe, which is now the biggest airline in Europe, um, has wholesale copy that model. I, I'd be surprised if there was more than two, two words different in their mission statement, hmm. but that's exactly what Ryanair does. I mean, Ryanair are the people who are exploring, I um, imagine along with Southwest, whether seats are really necessary. Oh God. Um, Ryanair is now charging to use the bathroom on a plane. Really? Yeah. Yeah. And his, um, uh, Michael O'Leary, who is the charismatic, somewhat, um, occasionally obnoxious CEO of Ryanair, um, accountant again, who knew, um, he's, you know, very, very firm and focused about, look, the people that I am selling to don't care what cutlery they get. They want the cheapest flight possible. They want it on time going to where they want to get to. That's what they're interested in. And, you know, everybody, everybody in your, oh, don't, don't fly Ryanair. We have to pay more for the baggage than you do for the ticket. Oh, you got to give, if you, if you try and board a Ryanair aircraft with, uh, half a gram too much luggage in your hand luggage, anything more than a toothbrush, then you will suddenly get hit with a big surcharge. If you're like me and you play by the rules, Ryanair's fantastic. And what Ryanair wants you to do is to travel like Stu. Okay. Put a toothbrush in your top pocket, get on the plane. That's it. Don't, what do you mean you want to take a laptop? No, don't take a laptop. Because all of those those lockers and stuff, they slow everything down. They make planes late and that snowballs and dominant. Don't do it. Ryanair is saying, we're a bus. <laughs> Just don't bring anything else. Um, and people, you'll hear horror stories left, right, and center. It is now the biggest airline in Europe. It is bigger than Lufthansa, British Airways, British Airways plus Aer Lingus. I mean, it's, it's huge. And it's all just a direct copy. I had to Google or while we're, while I was listening uh -huh. to find Ryanair's mission statements. You mentioned that their CEO is an accountant, has an accounting background. Uh -huh. uh, the mission statement to offer low fares that generate increased passenger traffic while maintaining a continuous focus on cost containment and efficiency operation. That's it. Boy, the accountant wrote that, didn't they? Uh, yeah, well, I mean, they don't have they don't have cleaners come on to to clean the aircraft. Um, the crew do it, Ooh. and so they have the fastest turnarounds um, in in the business. So your your easy jet comes in from. You bear in mind that in Europe the distance is usually much shorter. So your your aircraft comes in from Nice. Uh, they give it a quick wipe, turn it around, and it flies off to Berlin. <laughs> you know, that's that's kind of how it works. And like I say, 
everybody goes, no, no, I wouldn't fly Ryanair, I wouldn't fly Ryanair, I wouldn't fly Ryanair. Then the flight is $10 versus $250 that a flag carrier is looking for. And you think, do you know what? Maybe I'll fly Ryanair, particularly for a short flight. Hmm. They're, they're basically a bus company for the short distance uh, hops, I'm guessing. Yep, that's pretty much where, where the money is. Uh, the other the other interesting mission statement that I thought, and again, I'm not sure if you get such things over in Cyprus area, Starbucks, their mission statement is to inspire and nurture the human spirit, one person, one cup, and one neighborhood at a time. And they do that by getting your name wrong. <sighs> well, they don't. Well, sort of, yes. <laughs> No, I, I I agree with you. I mean, we you do have Starbucks here, and um, you know, bearing in mind that that Cyprus has uh, Cyprus coffee, which is in um, in other political worlds you would call it Turkish coffee. So there's the sort of sludge at the bottom, uh, and then a very sort of thick, strong coffee that sits above that, um, and that's you know very traditional. It's been going on for years. When Starbucks opened here, it created a uh, just like the rest of the world, just a huge boom. And the, you know, the lattes here are, from my point of view, American-esque. <laughs> so there's, you know, 27 syrups and four kilos of cream. And also you look at it, this isn't a coffee. This is a, this is a meal plan, but it's huge here and has been now copied by 150 different brands. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I do like that. I should say, I love the Harley one, which I thought was the one you might refer to. Um, I think that's a great mission state. I read that and think, yep, that says Harley Davidson to me. Uh, Harley's is more than building machines. We stand for the timeless pursuit of adventure, freedom for the soul. That's not bad. Open brackets, mostly by selling bikes to middle-aged men. Close brackets. Harley's one of those that when one is a fan of a company, uh, one knows more than perhaps the outside world or you know and seeing some of the things harley's done lately they are not necessarily as much for adventure as they are for making money and saving costs so mm, sure yeah, yeah you know if you're worried about saving costs on a forty-five thousand dollars motorcycle you're probably building it wrong just saying yeah, could be. I mean, like I say, with these, I'm looking through this list and some of the ones that look like taglines really appeal. But then when you give them any thought, you think, mm, okay, great tagline, but is it working as a mission? Mm -hmm. So Ted's mission is spread ideas. Okay. Yeah, that's great. I mean, it's two words. Well done you. Um, but you know, what is Ted for? What does it do? How does it make money? Why? What's it trying to do? It's trying to spread ideas. Okay, so it's trying to get some of the brightest minds in the world in front of the widest audiences, perhaps. Something like that, to me, sounds more like a mission. Mm -hmm. Because then you're thinking, okay, as an employee, you know, can we get these people and how do we get them to the widest possible audience? Um, it, that sort of helps with, the, as you were saying, giving the employee the idea of what they're doing and why. So I guess my question to you is how important do you think a mission statement is? Are they 
I, I feel that they're, they're very important. They're overlooked. They're given lip service by senior management, by the, the C-suite. But in a lot of cases, they're just ineffective. Yeah, I mean, I, I think um, I think there's a misunderstanding of, of what they should be. Um, like I say, I think a lot of C-suites shoot for a tagline, uh, which looks great on the stationery. Whereas really what a mission is about is, as we've sort of danced around, it's about empowering and allowing everyone within the organization to share a goal, a vision, a mission. What are we trying to do? What is everything that we do? What's it all about? What was it for? What, what does our company mean? And I think that's really important and really difficult. And that's why you see companies, you know, five companies doing the same thing. Why does one succeed and the others not? I think it's around getting that whole momentum of teams, people together, building on each other and creating that sort of, you know, some being greater than the parts. And I think it is really important and really difficult. And today has made me think very hard about what I'm doing in my businesses and where I want to take them, actually, which is, which is good for me. Maybe not so good for the listener. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, any takeaways from the discussion, Stu? I think we've got, we've had a good, uh, a good chat on this one. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, when I'm, I'm thinking now about uh, some of the businesses that I'm working with, I'm, I'm thinking of working from the bottom up. So what, what is the, what is the role purpose? What, what is this role for this customer service team? What are they for? Or what's this compliance team for? why they're there and does that build into a department does that build into a company does that build into a division and and can i find the mission within the company through that approach um i think you need to look beyond the job descriptions you need mm -hmm. to, to look at what people actually think they're doing and why they're doing it and how that colors their approach to problems that they face I'm not sure that's a takeaway, but maybe something to think about. <laughs> what about you? Give the, give the listener something solid. Justin. Oh, I'm not sure about solid, but certainly thinking about this myself, you know, a real mission statement helps people align activities their decisions and their behaviors towards a common path, which is not just a goal. You know, a goal is one point in time. A mission is how the organization is. And I think this is really missed by so many companies, as you mentioned, you know, so many things are a tagline. Uh, my thought is that a mission statement's not something you put up on a picture frame under a picture of a boat or a golf course, y you know, those things that say the goal. Oh yeah. It should be something simple, something effective, something that can be eternal internalized and something that can drive behaviors that align with the true mission of what the organization is, which probably doesn't say a whole lot in itself. It's not as meaty as I'd like, but just look at, look at missions a little bit closer and think, are they actionable? If your people, if your staff can't act on it, it's not a mission statement. It's a tagline. Very good. Mm. Deep, deep, deep thoughts. I'm going to be thinking about this one for a little bit. Uh, this this one this might be one we have to come back to with some follow up or some homeworks too. I think so. Cool. 
where can people find you on the internet? Uh, well, you can find me uh, at stuartlennon.com, uh, where I write, uh, well, I'm writing a novel and also write about, well, processes, bits and pieces, you know. Uh, you can find the aforementioned stationery company at nerosnotes.co.uk. Uh, and if you just want to chat, then grab me on Twitter at Stu Lennon. What about you? Where can people find you, Justin? The place that's the most active at the moment is my own personal website, justintwyfer.com. I do write occasionally at writeexperience.com with my life at the moment. That is a little less than I'd like it to be. I want to use a stationery rather than write about it at the moment. But hey, you take what you can get. I'm on Twitter as a lurker at JJ Twyford. Feel free to follow me, uh, especially getting the interesting things, complaining about Apple products. Apparently, Stu and I are really good at that. Uh, that seems to be half of my Twitter feed at the moment. Uh, if you have feedback, we'd love to hear it. Stationaryjacent at gmail.com. Please like and review us on your podcast catcher of choice. And we really do appreciate your recommendations to friends and colleagues who you think might get something from the show. Our next topic, sort of following on with this one, is year-end planning and what our processes are. So we're going to have a good conversation about that one. Yeah, absolutely. I'm uh, no, I'm jumping on you there. I'm I'm going to be using the. I think you may have used this before. Plan your year. Uh, the focus course uh, from the the team at the Sweet Setup. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's how I'm going to be doing it. So if you uh, if, if you want to come along with me, then uh, go grab your copy. We've got an affiliate link. Oh, wow. An affiliate link in the show notes, which means that if you click it, um, well, I make millions and I, I I may throw just in, I don't know, some crumbs from the table <laughs> uh, as I fly over in my private jet funded by your use of the affiliate link. No, I have no idea what we make, but probably a few dollars, which will go towards the hosting and that sort of thing. Um but it's a tool I've used before. It's a great way to to have a good think about what you're trying to do. So go and have a look. You might be interested. It's actually funny because we hadn't talked about this previously. Um, Sean Blanc did a webinar the other day, and I did purchase his upcoming, the the plan your year. The He's got a, a good notes uh, document for uh, writing your journal on there. Mm-hmm. And he's got a two-day seminar coming up that I invested in this year because this is... Well, there you go. The listener could be side-by-side side with you, Justin, going through the whole process. Yep. So that's coming up, I think, in early December. So I, I thought it was a good time because certainly I'm thinking about this process, how we normally do it. Um, you know, we, we, we always are looking to improve, and that's part of the reason that we have these discussions. Absolutely. Links will be in the show notes. Until next time then, goodbye and stay productive. Yes, us.